it's a great day for horror on the Twin Geekcast as we celebrate the release of Us by looking back at Jordan Peele's modern masterpiece, Get Out. Movies and friendship. Those are mysteries. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, welcome back to another podcast week. We convinced Calvin to come back after his hiatus. How you doing, Calvin? I'm good and married. I've come back married, and I'm ready to do the show. Well, well thankfully, Jess did let you come back and join us. That was very nice of her. Not, not to chain you down immediately. No. Um, she wasn't sure when she saw your hat at the wedding if, if she should let me continue with the show, but uh, she has she has the grace to let me come back. I, st- I still don't understand why everyone hates my hat. It's a pretty simple hat. It's not like I wore a Viking helmet or something. Though it would have fit. I guess I should have worn that instead. I guess, like, other than Jess with her veil, you were the only one with the hat at the wedding, so maybe you that, just stood out in some way? I, I did feel weird after noticing that. I looked around, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I, I am the only person wearing a hat. That's that's odd. Nobody really said anything in, in the moment, though. It was only afterwards when we'd taken pictures and everything that everyone started making fun of me online for wearing a hat. I mean, nobody said anything directly to you, but that doesn't mean nothing was said. I'm sure everyone in the room was judging me for wearing a hat. I mean, it, how would you describe it? It's kind of like a good day old sport, you know, like an old sporting hat for like a, a cab driver or something? Yeah, sort of like that. It's, you know, it's it's one of those kind of clips on to the, to the bill there. You know, it's a classy looking hat, I'd say. I thought it was fine and it, it went with my shirt, but... It it does, in retrospect, uh, you know, I'm pointing out, yeah, it is kind of weird to be the only person wearing a hat. I bet if there's at least one other person, it wouldn't seem as weird, but I, I did stand out like that. Yeah, I I had a good time, though, and I, I'm glad you got to join us. The, it's, it's better to be married, because the whole time I just wanted to call my fiancé wife, and now I can. So that's the whole point. It's a great, great ceremony, Paul. I've never seen such a succinct wedding. I love the move, <laughs> going, going straight from... You know the I do's right into the first dance. You guys are just getting that shit out of the way. Yeah, it was that was kind of our game plan all along. We just wanted it to be nice and succinct. Although not for me, you know the the wedding morning is. Uh, I wouldn't say it's overrated, but there's a lot of work that goes into you know being a part of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. You know, it's you guys are all running around getting everything done, and always is a delay. You know, you guys always say you know it starts at noon, but things don't really get going till like twelve thirty or so. But you expect that. Yeah. Anyone who goes to a wedding expecting it to start on time is an idiot. Yeah, they never start on time, but they're always a good time as long as uh, you know the marriage goes through. Well, as, as long as everyone doesn't go insane, you know. Let's not say that weddings are always a good time. I mean, have you ever been to a, a bridezilla wedding? No, no, thankfully not. Yeah. Well, luckily, this was not one of those. This was a very nice wedding, a very great ceremony. Your guys' vows were beautiful, and I was happy to be there and convince you to come back. Oh, thank you so much, man. Yeah. Well, I guess, uh, is there anything interesting to talk about in the world of movies today? Uh, no, but uh, we could talk a little bit about uh, Disney has uh, some news. They're bringing James Gunn back in. Yes. Um, they are, they, we heard that, there was a resounding, you know, cry across the internet of joy that James Gunn is returning to direct the third Guardians of the Galaxy movie, but still also doing the new Suicide Squad movie, which apparently is not a sequel anymore, but a reboot. Oh, yeah? Well, yeah. I think that's good that he's, I think it's a, enabled him to do some other projects, like, 
my worry about having uh, tours locked down is that they're going to stay inside the Marvel system. Maybe it's not a huge stretch to go into the DC system, but at least it's mm-hmm. another thing. Well, it's really where James Gunn has been the most free and creative is that he was able to kind of carve out his name and, you know, the, the Marvel sense. He didn't really blow up until Guardians there. So. I, and I wonder, is he like the um, the lone director to do both uh, Marvel and DC at the same time? Yeah, I believe so. I don't think we've uh, taken, I guess, except for uh, Joss Whedon when they brought oh, him in right, to, yeah. to clean up uh, Justice League. But he was done with Marvel at that point. He had just, but, you know, those still fairly close together. Right. Um, and I think it's good because you get to bring the cast back that were all signed against uh, having him leave. Um, you really want your actors to trust the director and, you know, making that move against the uh, talent just will never work out in anyone's favor. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that there was so much outcry. You know, I was surprised to see it was announced when it was because the outcry had not been as loud as of late. But it seems yeah. that from, from what I read that this decision had been made a long time ago it was just kind of kept quiet you know until recently so it probably was a decision made you know secretively in the midst of the outcry and i think i think it was kind of a thing like make sure all these stories are out of the news for a moment and then you know let him come back once it's settled down yeah because it would it would look really bad for them to go back immediately upon it like the 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 way they went about this was the smartest way they could fix their fuck up here yeah I mean, they they want to make sure they have a good press week ahead. They're you know they're giving us Toy Story trailers. They got uh, they want to do it amidst like um, Captain Marvel coming out. They have a enough positive generation right now that uh, something like this, even if it were taken badly, would would only be a drop in the bucket, right? Yeah, certainly. And you know, it's good to have him back, especially going forward, because now we can we have a much clearer image of where the MCU is going to be headed. You know. James Gunn was kind of always the head of all this um, cosmic stuff in, in the Marvel Universe. And with, you know, every other big character, you know, supposedly stepping down after their inevitable death in Endgame. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you're going to want to have someone kind of as the head pushing things forward in this universe. Uh, yeah, I I feel like we're going to get into that a bit. And it feels like Disney's kind of taken over the entire year, like... We're looking forward at what's coming out this year, and it's all Disney right now. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll talk about that once we hit the top of the box office here, which we should get to. All right, uh, number 10 here, we still have Green Book, which I think we're not going to say anything about this week. No, we've, done. we've talked it to death. What's uh, number 9? Number 9 is Alita, Battle Angel, which we've talked slightly less to death. I was, I was driving out to the cabin for the honeymoon, and I saw Alita was showing at what we call a drive-in picture show, and I really wanted to stop by, but we just couldn't find the time to do it. Uh, that seems like a good film to go uh, have that uh, different experience with, um, so I'm still I'm considering kinda, going out. I'm actually kind of curious as to how many drive-ins are really left in the country. The The small town where I grew up in had, and still has, a local drive-in there. Oh, really? And we used to, yeah, and we used to go all the time. That was a, was a regular kind of weekend occurrence thing. They had, like, a go-kart set up there and an arcade and everything. You know, you got hot dogs and all that. But largely, it would seem that the, the driving experience is pretty dead. Yeah, I don't know exactly how they do it anymore. I mean, they probably, like, play through your phone now, right? Like, all the audio and everything? They might. I haven't been in a long time. Like, they, I know, at least the last time I went, that they had 
you, you could rent like you know portable radios to bring into your car and tune in. Yeah. But that was that was still a long time ago, you know, in case your car didn't have a radio. But that's how they used to do. It. There's probably so many people out there who have never been to a drive-in, never know kind of how it worked and all that, and didn't know that you really just went so you could have sex in the backseat of your car. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's the whole point, right? That. Yeah, I mean that that's why I went to the drive-in when I was a teenager. <laughs> I mean, you you get away with a bit more than at a theater and um I felt like that's where everyone went cuz they could, you know, smoke a little bit of weed and do uh, whatever they want in the back and then you know, take in a couple movies. I always thought it was it, a a good format for a double feature cuz you're not constrained as much. Yeah, it, I found that the driving experience was less about watching the film itself and more so about being out and kind of you know, laughing it up with your friends and doing whatever and having a good time. It was never... If you wanted to see the movie, you should not necessarily go to the drive-in. Yeah, I thought for something like Alita that I've already seen, it could have been a good time, but uh, it the the double bill was for Captain Marvel, so uh, I feel like I'll experience that in the cinema. Yeah, that's probably better, you know, if you want to see it for the first time. I guess, I guess there are benefits and, you know, costs as well. Like, you know, on the one hand, you don't have annoying people next to you kicking the back of your seat in a, <laughs> in a drive-in unless you bring along your, your kids and they're in the back seat kicking you uh what what have you seen in a drive-in i'm trying to remember what i saw but uh nothing stands out it's been so long i saw i saw toy story 3 for the first time in a drive-in i remember that distinctly that was probably the last time i went to a drive-in i mean that's a that's a pretty good place for that yeah it, and it kind of helped with the nostalgia of everything and the nostalgia of being in the the drive-in and doing that a lot, and the experience of that, uh, you know, so that that was like the last major one I saw, and that that experience wasn't too impeded. I remember I did have to go see it a second time, of course, not yeah. driving, but uh, other than that, let's see, you know, I it's been so long I can't remember. I remember one movie I didn't watch in a drive-in, you know, <laughs> uh, was uh, Mr. Popper's Penguins was like the, the second feature. <laughs> And I wasn't watching that. I, I had other stuff to do. You did? Yes. I, I always uh, enjoyed that book as a kid, Mr. Popper's. Because um, he had all this refrigeration in his garage. And he was uh, the steward of so many penguins. He was an inspiration to me as a young boy. Mm-hmm. I, I, didn't, I didn't watch the movie or read the book. So. Uh, well, that's surprising. Um, it's, a, it's a cultural monument to, to great men and their penguins. Is, is that why we cast Jim Carrey in the movie? I, I don't know about that. I thought that was odd casting. Yeah. It, it just seemed like, you know, another disgrace of a childhood classic. It seems like he should be like a Johnny Depp or something. The Mr. Popper. I don't know. You mean like a modern Johnny Depp? Or like a, a Johnny Depp at the height of his actual giving a shit? Yeah, like late 90s Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Um, what do we... So that's yeah. what we got on Alita. <laughs> um. We got, got off on a little tangent there, but yeah, uh, number eight, we have a uh, Lego movie part two, which uh, you shouldn't go see in a drive-in. You should go in a theater. Um, yeah. it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. You got your review up on the site still. Um, yeah. Which seems to paint it in a, in a pretty good light. You know, I haven't heard too much buzz about the movie still, 
So I'm sort of surprised it's still here, but it's at the bottom of the box office. So that's, I think we wondered what could you do because Lego is such a successful start. What you do is you do exactly the same thing, but more of it, and that's what they did. Yes. So if that's the kind of thing you're into, go for it. But you know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't have any other real recommendations for it. Like you, you're gonna get what you see there. There's a, <laughs> there's a bunch of new songs that are as fun as the old one. Um, maybe some are a little bit more interesting. Uh, nothing really uh, pops or slaps like the last one. Though. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we'll move on here to the, the next couple, which are some newer films to talk about, though I don't know how much we'll have to say. <laughs> yeah. Very little buzz about most of these. Uh, number seven here, we have Captive State. Which I saw trailers for throughout the week on the honeymoon, and I still have less than no idea what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the the first thing I saw for it about two years ago, there was a promotional image kind of teasing the film with John Goodman in it, and he was kind of in this doorway, and he has this, this breathing mask on or whatever. And that was the last thing I saw about the film until this very podcast where we're talking about it. Um... Yeah, I noticed from the trailers that it says, uh, you know, from the director of the Planet of the Apes. And then um, I turned to my fiance, or, uh, wife after it and I said, well, what would you get out of it? She said, maybe there are aliens, someone's captive, and that's about what I have to. It's, a, it's some sci-fi thing that takes place in Chicago, and it doesn't look very good. And it was probably just thrown in here because the studio needed to shove it somewhere. And if it's not going to make any money, it might as well not make any money up against the Disney films. Although, um, Scene Magazine calls it the best movie of the year. They say it's daring, pulsing, subversive, and invigorated by a powerhouse cast. See, you know, subversive is such an easy word to throw around because you're subverting the audience's expectations of it being good. Just be bad, <laughs> and bland, and boring, and middling. Yeah, I went to the theater thinking I would have a good time, but uh, but I really didn't enjoy the film at all. Uh, you got me again, Ryan Johnson. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> all right. So not much else to say there, but even less to say about this next thing, which I, I, I don't even know how to talk about it or how it got here. Number six, what is this? No Manches Frida 2. I have no fucking clue what this is. <laughs> well, um... I think it means no way, Frida. I think that's all I figured out about it. We we always before the podcast will go over things we're unsure, uncertain about, and I think we spent <laughs> maybe a good ten minutes trying to figure out what this was. Right. I mean, I'm I'm confounded by it. I looked up on IMDb and I said it has thirty nine reviews on it, <laughs> but it's made three million dollars. I've seen films on IMDb that haven't even been released, that don't exist, that have more reviews for some reason. Why is nobody... And I wonder what? if that is a language thing, and that they're the they're somewhere else, or what what's happening with that? Well, people are clearly seeing it because it's you know number six here in our box office. <laughs> it's making three million dollars on its opening weekend. It's, it's and, a sequel. Yeah, there's another movie that we don't know yeah. about out there. It's weird to me, and it's not like it's just playing in a select area. Like I'm I'm seeing it here. There. All of the major theaters near me are playing this for several right. showtimes. <laughs> okay, so uh, the original one made $12.4 in U.S. box office. I don't I mean, is this going to make that on a $3 million opening? No. This... 
I don't think so. Okay, I, I know very little. I can read the, the synopsis here, and it still doesn't tell me anything. I think you said it sounds like a like a 2000s romantic comedy or something. Yeah, which, but, but which Spanish, I think I'd like, but it looks pretty immature about it. Um, not really what I'm looking for. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. It's just, it, what is this doing here? <laughs> is it? <laughs> is if it, it almost... stays around? If it stays around by next week, we might just have to go see it to figure it out. There's not, not even any trivia listed for the movie. Like, there's there's no information about this film that I can find. Well, is it almost spring break or something? Is that what's going on? Is it, I don't know. Because it man. looks like a spring break movie or something. It does. The, so. the poster kind of gives that, that spring break, break vibe. It's got, like, the, you know, the title of it in, like, a, a, a wood border there. Like it's, a, like, it's a sign or something at a bar. I don't know. It's... It's very hard to pin down because it's also made in the U.S. and it's Spanish language, which is confounding enough. But uh, it's just inexplicable why it's why it's up here above Lego, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I guess the kids want to go see this Spanish romantic comedy (laughs) with juvenile humor instead of Lego again. Yes, sir. They, They didn't give us many options this this week. I have to say, despite all the new films that are here. Nothing looks really interesting. Yeah, I mean, after that, uh, we have an even more confounding choice. Yeah, uh, Tyler Perry here still at number five. We're just not going to be able to get rid of this film, no. I'm sure, for a long uh, time. We've already had it for three weeks. Uh, I feel like we've talked it up. And just like No Manches Frida, it's also confounding to me how these keep coming out. Uh, uh, at least oh, the last one doesn't have 13 films, so. Right, well, Tyler Perry is at least a name. Like, it's not like I don't understand why his films are here, and they appeal yeah. to a very specific, uh, you know, minority audience who are wanting to go out and, and see this kind of film, um, which I'm sure might also relate to No Much is Frida, but I, I don't see it in the same way as a Tyler Perry movie, which yeah. is why it's so bizarre that they're both here. When is Frida going to get the point? How many films will it take? We'll find We're out next get- week. Frida is going to be the new Tyler Perry Medea series. <laughs> We're going to be talking about it for the next 10 years. No much as Frida 13. <laughs> we still won't know what it is, unfortunately. No, no I, I refuse to learn about whatever this is. Okay. All um, right. Let's move on to something we know a little bit more about. Uh, How to Train Your Dragon here at number four. Which is worth learning about... Um, well, when I went to it, of course, my favorite story was that someone passed out during What Men Want and uh, and went outside because they were laughing so hard. Um, uh, this film didn't make me pass out, but it made me very happy that they're uh, continuing the legacy. It seems to be the end. I could see them doing something else. I think uh, you and Graham mentioned last week, uh, there's probably some out for them to do a side thing. Yeah, that's, that's what it seems like, you know. Uh, I've yet to see DreamWorks kill a franchise, uh, or not kill, like lay to rest a franchise. They've certainly killed franchises by just pounding them into the ground, <laughs> as they do. I mean, they but can't they've... make a mainline Shrek anymore, right? But they could keep making Puss in Boots or whatever they want. Yeah, like I imagine they'll do something similar to How to Dragon. It's their mo- most lucrative property right now, it seems. You know, they're most celebrated. They're bound to, to set it off in, you know, some direction. Really, what uh, I was gonna say, the smart thing to do is if they, you know, like like want to expand on a theme park or something, like do something like their the Avatar Land that Disney's got going on. Give them a dragon ride or something to do. Kids go nuts over that. 
Yeah, get something that has short-term gain and maybe a little bit of a tail behind it, but uh, I feel like this is a sweet end of the trilogy, and at least that's done. We're not going to get like a Toy Story 4 scenario the way this yeah. ends. It has I'm a hard kinda, ending. I have to say, I am frustrated about the Toy Story 4 thing still, but uh, you know, the, the trailer just came out and I didn't, I didn't get a chance to see it yesterday, so maybe it can win me over. They got Keanu Reeves, so <laughs> that's that's already a little more promising, but yeah, I don't, Keanu you know, Reeves we, plays like a Canadian stuntman who's like a daredevil. That should be entertaining. Yeah, well, we talked about this a bit with like a Happy Death Day and kind of like the horror trilogy series and whatnot. Is that very few times are we willing to let something stop at three and just be a complete kind of hole there and let it, let it alone? You know, Toy Story could have really been that, but you know, Pixar is being greedy. They're going for a fourth, but hopefully, hopefully they'll turn out something good. You know, their track record is still pretty, like, what, like 80, 20, as far as good versus bad. And hopefully this animation team goes on to make something else, because uh, they're pretty talented, and there are a few moments that are genuinely surprising and awe-inspiring, so, um, other than that, it just kind of washes over to you, like a lot of kids' films do. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully, uh... DreamWorks, the, the next property they come up with will be, you know, on par with that, at least. I don't know, there's a lot of DreamWorks stuff I like. One of my favorite animated movies is a DreamWorks film, so I know they can do it. What's that? Oh, I love, uh, I grew up uh, loving uh, The Road to El Dorado. Oh. Uh, that one did poorly for them, which is good for me, because then they didn't sequelize it and <laughs> turn it into crap. Yeah, it's, so almost, it's, just... it's almost better when your childhood's protected by its own failure. Yes, I appreciate that. You know, everything, you know, general, let's just let everything be hidden gems and then we'll discover them five years later so nobody can fuck with them. Yeah, they had that they had that light period between like Prince of Egypt and El Dorado where they had really great two D animators and their hand drawn stuff looked incredible. Mm-hmm. And then Shrek happened and <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, El Dorado, they it has so much character behind the way those guys are drawn and the way they move. Um Maybe I love we'll it. we'll take a look at it one day. We'll see. Oh, I will absolutely put that on the podcast list. Hell yeah, I'm so down for that. All right. In the meantime, let's keep looking at the box office here. Uh, okay. Yeah. Number three, we have uh, Five Feet Apart, which is another entry in what my fiance calls the cool cancer teens movies subgenre. <laughs> I really like that name, and it's very accurate because all these cool teens do have cancer. And this yeah, one. Well, it's- it's about cystic fibrosis, which, uh, you know, it's it's just about illness. Cool people get illness, and uh, they stay cool. Well, it's this idea that, you know, they're going out, and, you know, they're, uh, they're, they're, they have this renewed sense of life now that they're facing their mortality, and they, you know, go out to try and live it, you know, in their young, short lives. It was all basically kickstarted by the huge success of John Green's A Fault in Our Stars, and... And John yeah, Green's a great writer, but there's a, you know... Maybe the derivatives aren't as good. Yeah, I haven't seen too many. I can't even recall that many, honestly, that I can even name. But, you know, there are a lot out there. I know that. You know, it's its own thing. You know, there's like the whole Hunger Games spin-off team franchise as well. <laughs> or all the Twilight knockoffs and everything. Once once one thing gets successful, then they copy it a bunch because teenagers eat that shit up. Yeah, I mean, I really liked, um, what was it, The Big Sick was uh, was pretty incredible. Yeah. That was touching. Well, that was a very 
personal story too as well. I think that's a huge difference here is that it's not like capitalizing on this and it's not like they're, I think it's a little different because it's not about like kind of fulfilling and living life. It's a very dramatic story about, you know, Kumail's, uh, you know, falling in love with this girl then, you know, Emily who, you know, ends up in a coma for a long period of time and, you know, basically on her deathbed before finally kind of coming back out. It's done all very well. Great movie. Um, you know, Kumail's great and he's a great Comedic presence. I always loved him on Silicon Valley as well. And he wrote it as well. He yeah, got an Oscar um, nominated. Yeah, it was good. Uh, and I guess you have like what, like everything, everything, Fault in the Stars, um, stuff like 50 50 for more adult versions, but similar. Yeah, there, there was a newer one you mentioned recently that uh, uh, sounded like Paddington. Oh, uh, Paddleton came out a couple yeah. of weeks ago. That's, that's kind of the same genre. Ray Romano and uh, Mark Duplass, I think. I can never tell what? the duplices apart. Ray Romano was in a big sick too, wasn't he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's just doing this thing now. <laughs> he's <laughs> he, all in on I it. I mean, actually, the m- last few movies of his have been the uh, cool cancer teen or whatever. He's got money invested in this in this hype train, I guess. Here, yeah, it is kind of within the Duplice Brothers genre that they do similar films to that. Mm-hmm. I don't. Know, I I haven't seen it yet. I'm not planning on seeing this. I haven't seen any of these actually. I don't think okay. I've got a copy of Fifty Fifty sitting on my sitting on my shelf, but I have I've yet to touch it. It's it's all right. It's it's better than you'd think it was. Um, speaking of, I I have one of the biggest surprises this week. I I saw Instant Family. Oh yes, that's right. Let's let's <laughs> throw back to that. Right. Because we we shit on it for a long time for being a Mark Wahlberg holiday <laughs> movie. And then you you actually liked it. I loved it. I was I was so impressed with Wahlberg even that yeah, I, I I was impressed that the whole thing was based on a true foundation that uh, is actually going to um, get families together and bring new families together. It doesn't. Uh, it plays a little bit into the white savior thing, but it's able to address that quickly and move into an actual commentary on you know the struggles of getting. Um, Getting a family, and like if you go to like instantfamily.org, you'll see that they have uh, links to the foster care. When that came up on the credits, I was like, oh man. And then it has uh, pictures of actual adopted families behind it. And uh, that really got to me. I'm getting a little choked up just thinking about it. Well, I'm, I'm thoroughly surprised and also still a little dubious, I have to say. <laughs> That's I, fair. I'm, I, I, I still can't fully buy that a, a Mark Wahlberg vehicle is good post boogie nights you know no i think i think this is the best one since then so uh, there might be something in it for you all um i was very impressed with it i thought it was very nice mm-hmm. so i guess we'll have to do that we'll have to have a section for reevaluating films that we shit on without seeing first yeah <laughs> maybe maybe we'll make that a, a separate segment from now on so mm-hmm. uh in the meantime let's keep looking let's uh, shit on another film we haven't seen yet okay uh, number Number two here, Wonder Park. Man, I haven't seen it, but that film must be shit. Yeah, absolute shit, but I haven't seen it, so... You, you told this, me there's no director for this film. <laughs> yes, so this is something I learned about from various little bits of research. Back in uh, January of 2018, the director, who was not Brian Singer, who was fired for sexual allegations... Oh, man. Um, That's and, rough and when studio- it's a kid's, kid's movie, too. Oh, yeah, it makes it even worse, like... You know, that's that's something that just gets attached to it, and it's got this stigma around it. But the studio decided not to hire another director. (laughs) How do you do that? 
which is always a smart move. Yeah. Um, well, I guess the, they can get away with it a bit more in animation because you have these teams who are kind of more equipped to do what they do and there's less, like, hands that the director has and, like, more specifically crafting, you know, the, you know, it's not like a sole uh, vision in an animated film, typically. Yeah. Because they have so many uh, engineers and whatnot. I mean, at that point, you still have, you have, like, a storyboard ready and everything, and you might have a direction, but is it... It, that's how it looks to me. It looks totally aimless, and uh, yeah, I'm a little yeah, bit surprised that they have uh, such big names in it because it seems like a bit of nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I heard that it, that it is very directionless, and you know, don't let big names fool you. I mean, think about the the gnome movies. Oh like, yeah, n- n- yeah, they've got big names in them. But they got James McAvoy, Emily Blunt, and Johnny Depp in the last one. And that'll uh, make them this good. This one, this one's got Jennifer Garner, Keenan Thompson. Mila Kunis, John Oliver, Ken Young, uh, so many names. Are they really, like, big names, though? I feel like some of those guys will do just about anything for a paycheck. Yeah, I feel like those are actors that you would approach for uh, for one of these voice casting roles. Like, 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 none of them are surprising that they'd be in it, right? Yeah, Ken Jong definitely will do just about anything. He just <laughs> likes acting. He doesn't care what shit he's in. No, and, no. and I admire that. I admire that about him. John Oliver. I don't know why is he doing so much more acting. Well, Matthew Broderick's in this too. Yeah, that's that's a strange note too. But he he also will do just about anything nowadays because he doesn't have a career. Um, none of these people are especially at their peak right now. So no, but yeah, John Oliver. I mean, he's he's still got his show going. He's doing a voice in uh, Lion King. He's Zazu. So yeah, that's cool. His show's that's some pretty good casting. His show's still good. It's it's more consistent than something like Colbert Reporter used to be. So I still I watch like that occasionally. Uh, I haven't watched it in a long time though because I just stopped wanting to switch over to cable, like switch the channel over to cable. I still have cable for whatever reason with HBO. I just don't. I'm, I'm too lazy to do it now to keep caught up. I just read the actual news now. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, it's it's a little bit more depressing. Yeah, but just as informative. It's it's harder to parse sometimes what the actual news is, but uh, he had a good show last week on Monica Lewinsky and shaming on the internet, so maybe go check uh, that out. I'm looking at this, and, and John Oliver's like top credits, like he's on IMDb, he says he's known for John Oliver, last week night John Oliver, and then the two Smurfs movies and the Love Guru. <laughs> I love so the that, Love Guru. <laughs> you're the only person oh. in the whole world. <laughs> I, I love it because... Uh, is a, um, I, I don't know why I like it. I, yeah, there's there's no reason to exactly. I, I, I got nothing. Exactly as yeah. I just I just earnestly like it. I think it I think it's a fun movie. Yeah. You have the worst taste in movies. I hope you know that. <laughs> I I don't know if it was because it's like uh, Mike Myers and Kanye sitting at a hockey game and Kanye's like I love hockey and he's like I love hockey too, bro. You are a sucker for hockey stuff. They just have to say hockey, and, and you'll jizz your pants. No, it's... <sighs> I mean, I, I... Oh, it has a 24 average on Metacritic. That's not very yeah. good. No, it's not. <laughs> well, it's one of those things where, like, a comedy could go different ways for any kind of person. Like, I, I could find it very funny, but uh, no one else really has to. And I, I, I feel like the whole the whole plot is centered on, like, a... An old hockey player who's kind of lost his luck, and uh, it's good. 
I don't know how we did this, how we got on a tangent about the love guru. I regret saying anything. I don't know. I think it's about the third time we've gotten to love guru somehow. <laughs> I'm, I'm done with it this time. I'm moving on now. <laughs> All right. Just add it to the podcast list and we'll come back. Right. Yeah. Number one, we have a uh, big, big <laughs> gun here. Of course, Captain Marvel making $67 million on its next one here on its track to make a billion. And Disney is going to take all our money. Um, it, it, we have a review of a, up on the site by Laura, uh, which is which is good. We wanted to get a female perspective on this. Yes, that was very important, especially with the, the outcry for Brie Larson wanting more female perspectives and not us old white men. So we listened, and we gave her what she wanted. Uh, I think it's just an important thing to do anyway. If you have that uh, yeah, capacity so. to do it and someone wants to do it, then I'm not going to take that review from them. Absolutely. We, of course, we want to advocate for diversity where we can, but you know, at the same time, I don't think our reviews are any less valuable if it was me or you doing it. Yeah, Uh but hers is good. She gave it uh, 8 out of 10 on the site, so go check that out. Uh, it's a strong review in favor of the film. Yeah, I've seen a, a lot of mixed reviews on it. Like, I'm getting either 4s to 6s or 7s to 8s. You know, lots of kind of in the middle territory, but on both ends there. Like, other people really don't like the character and think that it drags the movie down, or they, they really appreciate the, the aesthetics of the film and the interactions with... Um, you know, her and Fury. I've heard both those things a lot on both ends. Well, I have a I have a weird thing about it, because if that were any other movie, I'd feel good about that. But but when I get divisive scores for comic book movies, it's never gone well for me. I've, I've never thought it turned out on the high end of that. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it doesn't seem like it's going... No matter what you get, based on everyone's reviews, you're going to get something that's pretty middle of the road like it'll probably entertain you for that you know two hour runtime or whatever but you're not going to walk out really like jumping out of your seat and high-fiving everyone or anything yeah i i don't <laughs> i guess it doesn't end in like a huge battle and laura wrote that uh people were confused by it um but but i mean we all know we have end game coming up in a few weeks so it's no big deal there oh that is god that is so soon isn't it yeah, it doesn't well. feel like it's that soon. There's a there's another trailer recently. I didn't watch that either for some reason. Oh, um, I'm glad you did your research for today. <laughs> always, I always prepare for our important podcasts. Yeah, um, I I don't know anything about Endgame either, so uh, I'm excited to see uh, them move maybe on to just, new ideas. Maybe I should just not watch the trailer and go in blind. It's supposed to be like three hours, though. Really. Yeah, I mean, like, what, Infinity War was two and a half, so we might as well go even more. Those are getting long, man. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm I'm uncertain if I want to go sit in the theater for three hours for this. Ugh, I, I don't know I, either. I, I guess I'll do it. Uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, I know we'll have Tyler covering it, so I'm not worried about not having coverage for the site, but I just, I'm, I'm not hyped you know i'm not hyped for this at all i was very hyped for infinity war i found but since then the the the, the marvel hype has died down quite a bit and especially with the end of endgame here after that what's there to look forward to i mean i'm more interested in seeing tyler's coverage than seeing the film yep certainly uh well i think the other thing that we have kind of exciting 
uh, coming up this week, not quite in this box office, but will be on next week's box office, is uh, Jordan Peele's next film. Yeah, Us. Us is coming out just this Friday, which is today. Yeah, should be when this uh, podcast is when you're listening to it. And so, in honor of that, we decided to take a look back two years ago, talk about Get Out. Yo, um, hey, what up, Rose? It's um, it's it's me, Rod. Hi. Where's Chris? He left two days ago. He left. Yeah, he he got all paranoid and then he freaked out on me, and then he just got in a cab and left his phone. Wait, you haven't seen him? Oh, he never came back here. Oh my God. Look, look, man, I've been calling his phone a bunch of times. Matter of fact, I went to the police. What did you say? I just said he was missing. Oh, good. Uh... Let me ask you something. What cab company did he, uh, did he use to leave? Oh, gosh, I... I don't know. I guess uh, maybe a, a local one, or I guess he, he could have called an Uber. Um, wait, I am so confused. Oh, you confused? Oh, sh okay. Confused? You know something? Me too. Hold Could you hold on one second? Okay. Okay, hold on. You lying bitch. She is lying like a motherfucker. I know that. Ooh, that TSA shit tingles. This motherfucker's lying. I need to pull up the MDIP real quick. Okay. You just call it like that IMDb. You, you, you just pronounce the acronym. Yeah. What do you call it? IMDb. Well, uh, I. It is the IMDb, right? Like. Uh, so we're referring to right IMDb, the, the international movie database. Like, what do you do? You like spell out letterbox when you say it? Like. No, because letterbox isn't an acronym. Well, I mean, yeah, but there's like there's no e in it, so do you. Do you make a big point of, like, the D being, like, what a box? No. I'm just saying, I think it's kind of weird to call it. It, it doesn't roll off the tongue very well either. No, I mean, me neither. I don't say that about letterbox. I just wanted to check. Okay. Yeah, uh, get out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say this first, in that I regret not seeing Get Out for the first time in a theater. When it came out two years ago in February, it was all anyone was talking about. Except for Black Panther, which also, or that was last year, actually, never mind. Yeah, year before. Cut this out. Uh, so, it was the only thing people were talking about in 2017, during February, is Get Out. It was this huge, phenomenal horror film that was blowing everybody away. And it was really great, and it was breaking a lot of numbers. And I didn't go see it for whatever reason. And then I did get around to seeing the film in September of that year. And then my immediate reaction afterwards was... I feel so bad for not supporting this film when it came out. Yeah, it's superb. <laughs> it, it played so great in theater. I, I wish you would have gone and seen it, but uh, hopefully you'll get another chance. I do, and uh, you know, uh, I, I do wish that I'd gotten to go see it uh, as well. I remember at the time where I was working, um, and I should have listened to this because I, I had a boss who always had like a contradictory opinion. And he didn't like it that much. But everyone else around me did. So, I mean, I already kind of knew it was supposed to be really great because he didn't like it. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I went with a group of friends and it was uh, one of those very comfy reclining cinemas. But 
one of my friends was breaking up with his girlfriend the whole time, so he kept going out on his phone. But uh, uh, other than that, I, I had a great time at the at the cinema with it. I feel bad because in September, instead of you know, you know, for the horror film that I watched in 2017, I watched it in theaters instead of Get Out, and that and that's disappointing to me. <laughs> that's a shame. Hopefully, you could uh, switch that up this year. Get to uh, us and maybe skip Pet Cemetery. Yeah, but we're about to sit down and all read Pet Cemetery. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna accidentally do it again. It's gonna kind of fall for the King adaptation instead of the Jordan Peele film. Oh man, that's a shame. Um, Jordan Peele has always been such a scholar of uh, of horror cinema and especially black horror cinema. We had a black noir a couple uh, months ago on Shutter, which yeah, kind of explored noir. yeah horror noir, which uh, explored uh, the black people within horror and. Um, Peele had such insightful things to say about, like, uh, Candyman and, um, and Ganja and Hess and all these, uh, classic horror cinemas of the, of black culture. So I, right. I really respect him, and I watched the commentary this time to get a little bit more info. Well, it was really interesting getting that perspective, because I think Get Out really, um, kind of inspired this, this look to, uh, black representation in horror a bit more. Uh, you know, I did my I did a lot of research for that kind of topic uh, when I wrote the Night of the Living Dead piece for the 50th anniversary, and um, you know, so in that I found like a lot of the research on talking about how culturally impactful stuff like that was and that significance and stuff like uh, Blackula as well, yeah, which which plays like a kind of a B you know grindhouse film but has this undercurrent commentary of you know the fighting back against um, you know police corruption you know, again, against, uh, targeting black men. And, um, like, within the commentary beyond Peel telling everyone how woke everyone is, which is a, my favorite <laughs> part, um, he goes into how, you know, there, there are black horror films, there are horror films with black people, but there are not, uh, uh, culturally black films where they're, where they look at the way that black people experience the world, and, uh, Get Out was kind of his entry into how someone would, uh, feel that, uh, you know, he talks about how he's always aware of everything, that he's always able to spot a problem before it's coming, um, and how the character is sympathetic, but he's also, you know, he's woke enough, or he's aware that uh, well, of what's going on. The black people aren't necessarily being killed, but they're vessels for horror ideas in this film. Well, I think what's, what's really interesting, the social commentary present in Get Out, is that it tackles a different form of racism, which I think Get Out really kind of started the conversation on more so here, and it's this kind of, this coveting kind of, um, you know, uh, form of it, or this this kind of talking down to one of the specific lines in there about, um, oh, it scared me, Bradley Whitford, Bradley Whitford's character where he's talking to him, he's like, you know, I would have voted for Obama for a third term, and, you know, it's, it's like, it seems, you know, as presented kind of, um, you know, nice or, or whatever it's you know it's not it doesn't look racist but it's racist in its own different way and how it's still kind of talking down and you know still treating um black people like a you know an item to be to be had or to be wanted which is kind of the whole idea of it later that we get into with you know wanting to to kind of get into their bodies yeah i i think it goes back like historically through the film it's talking about like knight templars and their uh associations with the you know uh like a Illuminati association way in the past where they lost to a 
to uh, black people in a war, and so they need their bodies to become um, stronger and to to create something within their uh, community. So there's a lot more um, representation, but it also does look at like the liberal elites racism, which is right. well, which is very real. Certainly. Uh, th- then there was that whole angle where they talk about how you know like Stephen Root's character, who's wonderful in this as well. He describes how a lot of people. Kind of covet, you know, the black body for its for its physical prowess, or you know how how cool it is. You know, people want to get in on black culture like that, and so that's why they they really kind of go after uh, these people. Right. And I, it's, I and mean, it, yeah. it's it's another form of racism where you're looking at fetishizing a culture instead of creating like a yeah a positive change for them. Exactly. I think that's uh, exactly the idea here, and kind of what Get Out opens the world to a bit more. Though I do have to say, if, you know, one of my few complaints in the movie is that sometimes it's a little heavy in that. But I think it had to be in yeah. order to kind of reach a broad audience who is, is sort of ignorant to this uh, unconscious form of racism that many display. Um, I think uh, another good takeaway I had is that it's it's so influenced by classic horrors. Like, I mean, it has a bit of The Shining in there. Uh, he references like duel with like the Mustang that pulls up front and um, a lot of Cronenberg uh, in the labs and uh, I get some a lot shining of, uh, in there. I get a lot of uh, invasion of the body snatchers. Vibes, oh yeah, me too. Especially uh, out of the characters, especially the the black characters and like the maid out there and the uh, Keith Stanfield's character, especially they're all extremely off and trying to be human. <laughs> in some way <laughs> oh man the acting is so good the way they're able to represent maybe um the the great thing about their acting and the genius of it is that the actors could represent two things at once they could represent a black person that's a little bit off but a white person who's basically snatched a black body and they're mm-hmm. showing something white within their themselves like a, you no longer well, see the blackness you hear the whiteness it calls back to me to Lakeith Stanfield's film from last year as well, with uh, "Sorry to Bother You," with that whole white voice angle of things. So there's obviously this identity in the culture that you have. You can you can fake this certain uh, way of acting white. And also, if you look at Lakeith's character from the very beginning of the film, where he gets kind of kidnapped, very different. Like I'm pretty sure the first time I saw it, I didn't even connect that he was the same character as when he shows up later <laughs> at the party. Yeah. Yeah, like when he's getting dragged out, you don't you don't especially understand that he could be the same guy, right? Right. Well, because he's completely different, and he acts he's so incredibly different. His performance in Get Out is probably my my favorite of the whole film, and his whole approach and how he how he talks to him, and how like it, you you see that the 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 white old man character embodying him there is that moment where where. Uh, Kaluuya's character goes out to give him a, a fist bump, and he just grabs it instead, like. <laughs> and it's not even one of those things you might accidentally do. Like he just kind of blatantly grabs it. Yeah. That's one thing that there is obviously a lot of Peel's great sense of comedy throughout the film. Yeah. Especially in in Rod's character, kind of acts as the vessel of comedy for the majority. The what TSA I appreciate thing. is he seems to understand the the kind of balance between comedy and horror, and through that TSA character. He's really able to like dig into you know this is what a what a real black guy would have thought of this um, even though he's a little bit of a conspiracy theorist so everyone kind of brushes him off but man that guy has some lines in this that that whole bit at the police station where he's describing they they bring in everybody to hear the ridiculous story it's played great because I think what's great about the comedy there is that it is 
It acknowledges that the whole idea is inherently silly, but it's still taking it seriously despite, you know, literally laughing at it. You know, yeah. it's still presented in a serious manner. It's just that the characters in it don't take that seriously as they would in real life. Yeah, I mean, uh, I feel like this started a genre, as we were saying, for Black Horror in a way that we're going to get, you know, us this week or today, and we're getting um, Sorry to Bother You and whatnot. Uh, there's also, like, Black Klansman, which kind of has that same, like, uh, you know, black is white. Mm-hmm. There's certainly a lot of outcry for um, social, you know, awareness in the black community films. Even Black Panther has a bit of that, so it's slipping into the box office, you know, the blockbuster films uh, that we're seeing. So there's definitely, you know, if you're paying attention, you, or not even paying attention, if you just open your damn eyes, you can see that, you know, there's certainly an outcry for social justice to be going on here. I think it also appeals beyond, like, social justice. Like, this has a reach of a horror movie, right? Like, a... Even if you even if you're not worried about it being a social justice film, you're going to get something good out of it. Right. That's something we shouldn't neglect talking about either. Is the actual horror within the film, which is uh, exemplary. It's extremely well done, and you know, Peel really knows what he's doing. For you know, this is not a film filled with cheap jump scares. You know, comparing back to like I saw it, you know, in the <laughs> same year, and I was disappointed by it. You know, its usage of horror it was very run-of-the-mill kind of studio made but people really this is a passion project film and it stands as an, as an auteur piece i think that's why it's one of my favorite horror films of the centuries because i look back at things before get out and i always think uh, oh man that was a cheap scare tactic or there's none of that like uh, i don't think it's a sufficiently like horrifying film i think us is going to be his horror film but uh this is a horror film with social context so it's something else too yeah, it's, um, I think definitely of the last five years, certainly, maybe even perhaps the whole decade, Get Out might be the most significant horror film that has come out. Certainly uh, culturally significant. No other film kind of resonated with an audience quite like Get Out did. Last year, I think the biggest one was probably Hereditary. Yeah, I mean, or like... Or Quiet Place. Obviously, like, my favorite will be, like, Under the Skin, right? But that's more like a right. sci-fi version of horror. And that even seems to have an influence here with the... You know, a bit of the sunken place when he sinks down and becomes blue and uh, kind of like the metaphysics of what that is. Yeah, I think there was, uh, you know, I was thinking a lot of, we, me and my fiance talked a lot last time we talked about it and I even started kind of thinking up bits about it, about the comparisons to something like uh, being John Malkovich, which also has uh, Kathleen uh, Turner in it and also putting people inside their subconscious to, you know, for other people to take over their bodies. Yeah. Uh, I think it. I think it's so aware of both these entries in horror cinema. It's so. It's so. Um, it's just vividly aware of the history of film, and that it's not going to make any missteps because it knows all of them, and it knows uh, where to break the rules and where to make something new and where to do the old thing. Yeah, uh, I think what's also really great is that the the symbolism throughout Get Out is really well established. Um, you know, right up through the the deer. You yeah. know, I think is the kind of the central one here. And it seems that Peel might have an animal motif kind of going just based on these next two because there's a lot of rabbits kind of featured throughout us. Hmm. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the deer is that. definitely the big one for Get Out, you know, kind of starting with the, the initial incident there and then throughout. And then, you know, you get to bring it around at the end with him stabbing Bradley Whitford's character with the antlers. Yeah, and like attempts. even like in his indoctrination, the deer's kind of staring him right on and. You know, he talks a little bit, maybe that would be like symbolism for, 
you know, like the blackmail is called a buck or whatever, and it's, uh, and it would be the husband of the doe that was killed earlier on, and that kind of motif going through it gives it well, kind think, of like an animal symbolism, which is kind of how they're pictured in like the slave trade society. You can put a lot of uh, symbolism, I think, behind it there in the idea, like you could look at it as a sort of uh, prize, you know, as a you know white male, you know, privilege thing of going out and hunting these bucks and then mounting them on their walls as a, you know, symbol of victory, you know, and that's kind of the same idea you can get there. I think there's a lot of things you can pull from the various symbolism of Get Out. There's obviously a lot of uh, color symbolism as well, everyone showing up to the party wearing all black, trying to emulate that, they all come in black vehicles. The vehicle at the beginning that takes, you know, Lucky Stanfield away is the white vehicle, you know. Then they have the red vehicle when they're going in and they hit the deer. Um. Right. So, yeah, there's all sorts of very uh, filmmaking conscious decisions made there that I really love throughout Get Out. Uh, and, of course, all the acting is very great. Kaluuya, in particular, he, he does a fantastic job. That scene, I, I won't ever forget the scene when the, you know, the hypnotism and he's got the big, you know, tear-filled eyes, you know, kind of rolling down his face. Yeah. Oh, man, that that is affecting. And I, I feel like it, it brings back... Um, the idea that they were always uh, sufficient directors, even within comedy, that uh, by doing sketch comedy, they were able to get these great improvisational poor performances out of these characters. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously we're seeing a lot of capabilities there. I think we also talk about this in comparison with, like, uh, John Krasinski doing A Quiet Place and that being a resounding success. You know, very similar in the vein that comedy and horror essentially kind of have some similarities and structure to them so it's not a hard path to see one transitioning to yeah absolutely they have um the the horror and comedy is basically the same it's just how it ends right like uh uh the the setup to a joke may have the same tension as a as a horror scene but we just interpret it differently yeah um, i guess speaking of endings um we should talk about the one here have you seen the alternate ending for yeah it out as well? yeah the alternate ending is a little different huh Mm-hmm. And I can see the reason to go that way, but I'm very glad that Peel decided not to, because I think that ending is already implied in that in that few moments when the, the lights flash. So he's, you know, Clue's uh, character's almost all the way out there, Chris, and he's strangling his girlfriend, you know, about mm. to, like, kill her or whatever, when the police lights flash. Jeez. And you know, and you know in your mind what exactly is kind of happening here. And he's busted, and he's framed for this, because that's how these things would go down for, you know, a black male. He's, he's defenseless against the police. He can't do anything. But luckily, what really happens is that it's it's Rod in the TSA vehicle, which I, I'm i actually wondering if they do have vehicles with flashing lights that TSA does. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. No. Like, like, I think that was one of my first thoughts watching. I'm like, hmm, I don't think this is right, but it doesn't really matter because it works perfectly in the moment. And it's kind of funny just, too, right? Like, it's a relief. Yes. Well, it's 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 humorous you're... and it's a relief from this great tension. Like it's just this oh shit moment that hits you like a brick. Like you're saying, because the TSA wouldn't normally have a cop car, then you'd expect that he's about to get arrested. Yeah, well, that's your immediate thought, and you know, you know that how bad it looks with him <laughs> right. choking her out in the, in the in the ground like this. He's like, covered there's... in blood by this point. Oh yeah, there's no way, and everyone else in the house is dead. Like, this is going to look... <laughs> this is an open and shut case. He's so fucked. And the alternate ending 
is actually that. It is the police, and he gets in, you know, put in jail. You see him come out and talk to Rod in the, the orange jumpsuit and everything. And it's not it's satisfying in the same way that the, the actual ending is. No. Um, I, I, I like both endings, but I feel like, yeah, I feel like that would have stolen some of the film's heart and made it about something else. Or um, That would have been the only conversation you'd have about the film uh, if it ended in just, that way. It feels almost obvious in some ways, yeah. you know, and I think it would have been a bit of a letdown, especially like because the the ending as is, it's cathartic. You know, we sympathize so much with Chris throughout that him getting to the end and then having this nihilistic ending thrown on the end, it doesn't feel right, you know, especially for our times. We want to be more, uh, you know, we don't want to be down that this is. Uh, if you leave the note, the film on that message, I feel like it sends out a bad message. Then that yeah. you know, there's nothing we can do. We're screwed by the system, and it's hopeless. That's that's the message you get if he goes to jail for this. I mean, I'd recommend reading Graham's piece of the on the endings on the site, and you could see that, uh, like an ending like this could save a movie. Like a something like this is what makes it uh, completely rewatchable for me. Yeah, uh, I think. And there's a lot of other things, obviously, that makes it rewatchable. You know, the characters are really enjoyable. The the performances are, of course, fantastic. I love the technique of everything. Uh, I love like little little things that are injected, and in, like the the Jesse Owens angle of things, and you kind of get that with the character kind of sewn back in. Um, you know, where the the grandfather lost to Jesse Owens in the Olympics, yeah, whatever that was in the 1940s. And there are great moments where he's like sprinting at the camera, and it implies so much tension from him. And... Oh, it, it, it's just this bizarre, like surreal moment where he's warning straight at the camera, and then he does like a direct right angle. Well, the and then... the best part is it's stacked like tension on tension, right? Because he's going out to smoke at a family's house. You know what that means. And then he mm-hmm. looks up and he sees the the maid looking out the window, the grandma. And then of course he has this. Uh, Jesse Owens running guy coming at him and uh, then he goes in and he goes to the sunken place like there's so much like that is like the mounting like a the climax of the terror in that film right and there's there's a lot of great things kind of sprinkled throughout the the build-up to the reveal of everything when you learn that the the girlfriend's in on it as well like when he discovers the box with all the pictures in it and all that and kind of the final piece of the puzzle lands in as to how all this is orchestrated and how long this has been going on, potentially. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think we should uh, talk a little bit about the music. Uh, that that always stands out to me as interesting. Ah, yes. It is a, it's a really good choice of music. And Because, like, in the beginning, I love the start of using the, the Challenge Gambino song. They've got Redbone in there. Yeah, which is... Which is might be why uh, Peel talked about staying woke the entire commentary. Now that right. I think about it, yeah, because <laughs> that's a that's a whole song, you know, stay woke and keep your eyes open. Mm-hmm. It's a really good song. It's I think it sets the tone really well, but the the score throughout is is pretty fantastic, which is always nice to see. I feel like less and less lately we're getting uh, really beautiful scores. Like it's easier to identify than oh, this is the uh, direct the, the composer's first. Uh, yeah, four. yeah, it was he his first, and he had done a lot of work around things like tribal instrumentation and uh, different kinds of dance jazz, especially. So uh, when you hear things like the, you know, like his Sigalisa song, that's like a, a tribal chant about trusting your elders and having to run away. There's something completely chilling and new about that. Like that's a song that's never been recorded for a horror film. 
Mm -hmm. I see he's also doing the music for us. Oh, good. Really great. Yeah, it looks like we're just getting a, a repeat of production here and talent going into us. So that's super exciting. Hopefully. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm hoping, I want to see the, the kind of first impressions of us, and I very, very well may go out and see it, because I'm actually very excited to... Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of uh, shining comparisons in a lot of ways right now, so that's that's promising. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that, uh, you know, my fans they keep talking about how there's some themes of uh, the, the characters in us, they seem to have like a kind of a minstrel show vibe kind of going <laughs> in them, yeah. so there's more of that potential commentary in it there, and this idea of... Um, you know, the, the black people's entertainment is, you know, history had and all that. Oh, there's yeah. there's an interesting aspect to it. I'm curious to know how exactly it's going to spin out. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. very curious about us. I, I can't wait. Yeah, like I see this first view like you're talking about, there is a lot, like the first review from RogerEbert.com says it's like The Shining. There are a number of different ways to interpret uh, Jordan Peele's new horror movie. Yeah, that one especially brings a, a close comparison to Shining. Um, we're going to have a good month, I think, with this and Pet Cemetery and maybe a couple other horror films. Uh, yeah, hopefully. We haven't really had any other good horror films otherwise, but we have... Right. Uh, uh, there's cool. a Lighthouse one coming soon, right? The Lighthouse? Yeah, that'll be coming What's later in one? the summer. Then we'll have, like, a Midsummer, which will be good. Um, that looks like Wicker Man. Wicker Man? Yeah. Um, we had a Greta a couple weeks ago, which I went and saw. That's, that's absolutely fine, but... Uh, the horror parts are completely disconnected from the rest. So not not we, quite altogether a, a, a through line on what the horror is. Yep, we haven't had our great horror film yet this year, so Us is looking to be the one. Oh, well, Hopefully we have so. a happy death day, and that's, oh, that's yeah. all I'm here for. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you said there's less of a horror and more of it's a kind of sci-fi thing, and I know most other people weren't as big on Happy Death Day, the horror film in, in general. I don't know. Well, they're I, wrong. Still... <laughs> all right, Calvin, you keep fighting for this one. Eventually, we'll we'll all believe you. Eventually, uh -huh. I don't need to be believed. I just need to believe myself. Thank mm -hmm. you.